Come on, lift up your hands, everybody, so we can worship him. Thank you, Father. God, we just thank you. Tonight we worship you. We bless you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We thank you for your presence in this place tonight. Have your way in this place. Move by your spirit. Speak to each and every one of us. Open up our hearts that we may receive the word of God tonight. Our minds that we may understand our ears. That we may hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Let the incorruptible seed of your word be planted deep on the inside of us. And Father, we just thank you for all that you're going to say and all that you're going to do tonight. We give you all the praise in advance. We give you honor and glory. We thank you for everything that you're going to say and everything that you're going to do. For it, Father, we bless you. We give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, tonight we just want to lift up Eben, Aurelia, Marlena, and the family. As tomorrow they get ready to partake in these services, the wake and then the funeral this weekend. We pray, Father, for all of the family members, all those that are still traveling that are trying to get here from Liberia. We pray that you get them here safely, Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray that you cover the family, that you will comfort them with the comfort that only you can comfort them with, for you are the God of all comfort. You are the Father of all mercy. Let there be peace in the family. We bind any foul spirit of strife and division. We curse every assignment of the devil that tries to raise his ugly head when, when people are at their lowest and when people are mourning. We come against any work of, this, of Satan. We cancel any assignment of the enemy. We come against the spirit of regret. We curse it right now in the name of Jesus. And we pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, that this will be a true homegoing and celebration for the life that she lived. And Father, for it, we just thank you in advance. We bless you, Lord God. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's just give Jesus a praise tonight. Amen. 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 All right. You can have your seats. Let's get Let's get down to business. Let's get into the word of God. I want you to um, turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. And we're going to read quite a few verses there, but we're going to begin in verse 1. But um, before we get to that, I just wanted to, I wanted to say this, you know, um, you know, the mission that, that God has given me here is to train up leaders and disciples to reach the world for Jesus. That's really my mission. My goal is to pour myself into you and um, teach you things that I've learned over the years in an effort to help you to bypass some of the potential um, dangers that you may, have, may face in your walk with God and also in ministry. And, um, you know, I put this here. I said, you know, there are two primary ways of learning. You know, you can learn by trial and error, or you can learn through the success and failures of others. And bottom line is the best way to learn is by the success and failures of other people, other than having to learn them on your own. It can, it can really give you, you know, it can accelerate you in life. 
you know, instead of falling over the same things that others have fallen over already, it's better to just learn from the mistakes and then also the successes so that you can have a smoother path in life. And that's what here, you know, as your pastor, it's my job to try to give you a head start in life and in ministry. But that being said, I want to continue to share with, some, with you some thoughts about ministry and leadership. The first lesson that every leader really needs to learn is that their first task in leadership is servanthood. No leader can be a good or effective leader unless they're a great servant. And you must understand that God will never give you a ministry of leading until you have fulfilled a ministry of serving. God will never promote someone that thinks that they're too good to serve. And to the degree that you're willing to humble yourself and serve will be to the degree that God is willing to raise you up and to promote you. And that's just not in ministry. That's just in life in general. So um, we're going to take a lesson from the Lord Jesus when it comes to servanthood. So in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, we're reading the Amplified Version. It says, now before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come. And it was time for him to leave this world and return to the Father. You know, it's something we're about to get ready for Passion Week, right? This Sunday begins Passion Week, which is, uh, you know, Palm Sunday, when Jesus makes his triumphant entrance into, you know, Jerusalem. And then a lot of things happen that week, but at the end of Passion Week, it culminates with, of course, Jesus laying down his life and becoming the ultimate sacrifice for us. But um, this is during that time. And it says, um, before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come. It was time. It was time for him to leave this world and to return to the Father. And it says, having greatly loved his own who were in the world, he loved them and continuously loves them with his perfect love to the end. I love that. It says it was during supper when the devil had already put the thought of betraying Jesus into the heart of Judas. It's amazing, man. Judas sitting at the table with all of the other disciples. Jesus is sitting at the table and, and the devil comes in the room. And he puts the thought of betraying Jesus into the heart of Judas while he's sitting at the table with Jesus. Amazing, right? Walks right in. It says, you know, so he put this in the heart of Judas, Simon, son, that Jesus. And it says that, that Jesus, knowing that the father had put everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was now returning to God. He got up from suffer, supper, took off his outer robe, taking a servant's towel. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with a towel which was tied around his waist. Now, you know, um, you know, it's beautiful to have foot washing services, right? But, you know, we kind of announce it and we tell people, you know, yeah, we're going to have foot washing service next Sunday. Wash your feet, you know, and ladies get manicures, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, pedicures, right? Ladies get pedicures, you know, you know. So you come here, you're ready. You know, you got, you take your, your socks off and your feet have been washed already before you even put it in that water. Now, I just want you to understand the picture, you know. Now, Jesus is not watching 
people, he didn't announce this, you know, so ain't nobody washed their feet yet, you know. So he gets up, you know, and these guys got sandals on, and they've been walking on these nasty roads and stuff like that, and they don't have paved streets, you know. Ain't nothing but dirt. So their feet are filthy. <laughs> and Jesus begins to wash their feet, you know. And this, you know, I, I want to kind of, you know, embellish on this because of the fact that, you know, we, we, we kind of just look at scriptures and glance over them and, you know, just kind of, okay, Jesus washed their feet, you know. But this really was the lowest job. This was the job that was reserved for the lowliest of servants that was in somebody's house. Usually you didn't get your, your feet washed in someone's house unless they were wealthy. Or they would give you, you know, Jesus said to the, to the Pharisee, he said, you didn't, give me, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. He didn't say you didn't wash my feet. He said, you didn't give me water to wash my feet, you know. So they would give them water to wash their feet but they wouldn't wash them. You know, that was for, if you are wealthy and you had servants, your lowliest servants would wash people's feet. So I just want you to understand, you know, what Jesus was doing when he did this. And here he is, he's washing these disciples' feet. And Judas too. Judas gets his feet washed. Everybody. And um, he's doing the job of the lowliest servant. And I think that's why, you know, that's why, God is very clear about everything that he said. He said, knowing that the father had put everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was now returning to God. See, I mean, he, he, he knows exactly who he is. He's not like, he, he don't have no, you know, no complex about who he is. He knows he's the son of God. He gets up from supper. He takes his outer robe off, takes the servant's towel, ties us on his waist, and he begins to wash their feet and it says and when he comes to Simon Peter he said to him Lord are you going to wash my feet Jesus replied to him you don't realize now what I'm doing but you will fully understand it later and Peter said to him you will never wash my feet you know see he was trying to be you know he was trying to be right <laughs> you know he's thinking man Jesus you can't be out here washing my feet man you know you're our Lord. What you down here washing our dirty feet for, you know? So I'm sure he had good intentions. But Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We can have nothing to do with each other. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, in that case, <laughs> wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Just wash everything. Give me a bath, you know? And Jesus said to him, anyone who has bathed needs only to wash his feet and is completely clean and he says and and you my disciples are clean but not all of you for he knew who was going to betray him for that reason he said not all of you are clean so when he had washed their feet and put on his outer robe and reclined at the table again he said to them do you understand what i what i have done for you you call me teacher and lord and you are right in doing so for that is who I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet as well. For I gave you this as an example so that you should do in turn as I did to you. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, a slave 
is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent them. And he goes on to say, if you know these things, you are blessed if you put them into practice and faithfully do them. Now, I'm going to just get into a few things right here really quick. But I, I just, I put this here. I said, you know, I love, first of all, I love the detail that's in the scripture. Jesus was fully aware that God had put everything into his hands. In other words, Jesus knew exactly who he was and whose he was. He knew that he had all authority and power. He knew that he was Lord and master. At this point, he begins to take his garments off or his garments of authority. And he put a towel of a servant on and he began to wash their feet. Now, this is an amazing example that he gives his disciples. This is their Lord and master on the ground washing their dirty and filthy feet. He showed them right there that the ministry is about serving others and not about being served by others. He showed us that ministry is about, not about titles, it's about towels. In other words, it's about being a servant. Not about being served, you know. People, when they think of leadership, they think of someone serving them. Now it's time to put my feet up, some people can serve me. But that's not what, what, that's not what leadership is about. Is about being servant and the ultimate the ultimate leader gives them the ultimate example and shows them that he's not he didn't come to be served he came to serve and that's what we need to understand as leaders we we, we, we are here to serve we're here to serve people we're here to, to love people and to serve them now washing feet is very significant and the reason, and Jesus says to him, when, he, when he's speaking to Peter, he says to him, you know, Peter says, wash everything. And he says, you know, if you have already been washed, the only thing you need to wash after that is your feet. And that was very symbolic because what he was talking about was the fact that once you're saved, you know, you're, you're, you're cleansed from sin. Now, what gets dirty on you is your feet. And that talks about your walk. Your walk has to continuously be cleansed. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you walk through life and you get dirt on you, just like they did as they walked through life. You know, things happen in your life, things go down and, you know, somebody cusses you out or, you know, somebody cuts you off or whatever, you know. And somebody treats you bad on the job. And so we constantly need to then wash our feet. And our feet need to be washed so that we can get our walk, we can keep our walk clean. So that's what, G, you know, and Jesus said, you know, you don't need everything washed. You just need your feet. Well, you're already saved. So you don't need to get saved over and over and over again. What you need to do is repent. You know, that's how we wash our feet. We, we repent. We get into the word of God, you know. We pray. You know, these are things that begin to wash our feet. And then Jesus begins to tell them, well, you need to do this for one another. So that speaks of praying for one another, encouraging one another. You know, that's how we begin to wash others' feet. You know, whenever you say an encouraging word to someone that's down, you wash them. You begin to wash their feet. Whenever you pray for somebody that's going through a rough time, you begin to wash their feet. And uh, it's beautiful to wash feet in a foot washing service. That's great. And we've done that a couple of times, but 
was even more powerful is praying for people every day. You'll get a lot more, somebody will be a lot more helped receiving prayer every day than you washing their feet. So when, when, when God puts somebody on your heart, pray for them. You know, some, oftentimes, sometimes, you know, God puts somebody on my heart and I just call them. And, you know, I just speak to them, encourage them a little bit, you know. Because you just never know what people are going through. So, you know, put God put somebody on your mind, give them a call or pray for them. Because you don't know what's happening with them at the moment. And God is putting them on your heart for a reason. You know, so he says, wash their feet. See, now this was the mindset that the Lord Jesus had. Now, let's just look real quick at in the scriptures about the mindset of the Lord Jesus. So in Philippians chapter two, verses five to 11, I'm going somewhere with all this because I want you to understand the ministry of serving and really the attitude and the thought process that the Lord Jesus had, because that needs to now be translated into us. We need to receive that. So in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, it says there, let this same attitude and, and, and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. It says, let him be your example in humility, who although being essentially one with God and, and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which makes God, God. He did not think of, think that this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity, so as to assume the guise of a servant or a slave, and that he became like men and was born a human being. Uh, you, you think about that. Here's the Lord Jesus, right? He, 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 he is God. You know, he, he made a decision. You know, that's why he said, nobody takes my life. I, I give it willingly, you know. So he made a decision to come and do this. Can you imagine, you know, creating something and then lowering yourself to be like them? You know, to be born of a woman and then to have to live in, you're God, but you're living in flesh. That is corrupted, you know, and that, you know, now is God who was never hungry, thirsty, tired. You know, he was never, never sick. You know, he, he, he takes on all of this, all that mankind has to offer with all of his corruption. And he comes down to this planet to be like us and live this life like we live it. Now that's humility. Now it goes on to say that after he appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Now, now if, if coming here wasn't enough, <laughs> and be, he, he, even, he, he humbled himself even further and decide to die at the worst death that was available at the time, which was crucifixion. That was the worst death. You couldn't get no worse than that. And he carried out his obedience to the extreme death, even the death of the cross. 
And it says, therefore, because he stooped so low. I love that. Because he stooped so low. God has highly exalted him. And has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That in and at the name of Jesus, every knee should and must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he was willing to stoop so low. My God, man. Bottom line is the key to the scripture is that Jesus was willing to stoop low. And because he did... God gave him the greatest promotion ever bestowed on mankind. Now I say this, I say that to say this, you will go as high as you're willing to go low. The lower you're willing to go to serve others, the higher God will take you and promote you. If you're too good to serve, you're not willing to, re- you're not worthy to receive promotion from God. Because he stooped so low. Because he was willing to go, I mean, he was willing to stoop low. And then, I mean, now, looking at that scripture about him washing feet, it puts it in a whole nother light. I mean, there is no limit to how low Jesus was willing to go. You're talking about humility. You're talking about abasing yourself, about being meek, about stooping, you know, about stooping low. And then you knew when God tells you, I don't want you to forgive someone. I can't. They did something to me, you know. See, he was willing to stoop so low that while he was on the cross, after being brutally beaten, after having his beard plucked out, after hundreds of soldiers spitting on him, covering his head and slapping him and saying, you're a prophet, prophesy who's hitting you, you know taking all of his clothes and, and gambling for them and uh, whipping them with a cat of nine tails, tear his flesh off. Now he's on a cross. You know, he's on a cross, dying breath. Forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm telling you, man, because he was willing to stoop so low, God has highly exalted him, giving him a name that's above every name. See, most of us will never experience real promotion because we're not willing to stoop low. We're not willing to humble ourselves. Too proud, you know. All right, let me move on with this. So let me just give you a few scriptures about humility and how it's tied to promotion. In James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. In 1 Peter 5 5 through 7, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And Matthew 18, 3 through 4, it says, And said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
In Matthew 23, 11 through 12, it says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And finally, in Psalm 75, 4 through 7, it says, I said unto the fools, deal not foolishly. And to the wicked, lift not up the horn. And that just means don't have pride in your physical strength or your abilities. Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he sets up another. Don't be proud. Be humble. Because it's God who does the promoting. See, you see how it's tied. Humility and promotion is always tied together. You want to you be promoted? Learn humility. Learn the lesson of humility. Learn how to walk in humility. That's how you get promoted. And Jesus is our prime example because he was willing to stoop so low. Don't, don't, be, don't be proud. You know, don't be arrogant. Don't, don't, don't think, you know, well, I don't, need to, I don't need to apologize. You know, God... God all day long, I've had to apologize to some people, man. All day long, you know. I messed up a couple of times, you know. I had to apologize to my wife a couple of times today. <laughs> I messed up, you know. And, um, but God said, you know, I said, you know, man, I don't feel like, I don't feel like apologizing, you know. But I just kept hearing, apologize. You need to apologize. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to do it. Humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God. So you want to be promoted? Humble yourself. Don't be proud. Can't, can't apologize because you, when you're wrong, just apologize. You know, be, be humble. Humble yourself. And God will exalt you. So now that I talked about that humility, I want to get to a couple of things real quick. Because I'm going to close right on time. I want to talk really quick about a little bit more about ministry and serving so turn your bibles to exodus chapter 17 we're going to read verses 8 to 13 i'm gonna fin- i'm gonna read this and then i'm gonna close tonight but i wanted to get to this this was something i really wanted to talk about tonight when it comes to serving and one thing i wanted to point out as we begin to look at this particular uh you know chapter in these verses is that everybody's role is so vital you know, everybody, everybody plays a part. Everybody's important. There's nobody that's more important than anybody else when it comes to, you know, ministry and when it comes to certain nobody. So Exodus 17 verses 8 through 13, it says, um, then came Amalek. Now, now here's Israel. They just came out of Egypt and they're attacked by the Amalekites. And God has some real problems with them even after this, you know. But God, but, but they had just attacked them, you know, for no reason. And it says, Then came Amalek, descendants of Esau, and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. So now Moses sends Joshua to the front lines of the battle. Now Joshua, of course, is Moses' servant. And eventually he becomes the next leader of Israel. But he's the one that's on the battlefield. 
He sends them out with an army to go fight. He says, tomorrow I'll stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So now Moses, Joshua's going to fight in the battle physically with an army. While Moses is standing on a mountain with the rod of God in his hand. So we see the physical battle taking place and we see the spiritual battle taking place. Joshua is involved in the physical battle while Moses is engaged in spiritual warfare. So now it says, so Joshua did as Moses said and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the hilltop. And it says, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So we see how important. Now, Joshua's, Joshua's important. And the men that's fighting with him because they're out there physically fighting the battle. That's important. They're on the front lines. But Moses' job is just as important as Joshua's, if not more, because while he's holding his hands up, Joshua's winning. But as soon as he lowers his hands, they start losing. So it goes on to say, but Moses' hands were heavy and they grew weary. So the other men, or Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Then Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. Now we see two other players in the game. Aaron, Aaron his brother, and Hur come, and they put a stone underneath Moses so that he can sit down and rest, and they raise his hands up so that he doesn't get weary. So their job is important. And it says, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua mowed down and disabled Amalek and his people with the sword. He mowed them down. Wow. <laughs> That's some word, man. He mowed them down. <laughs> but you see, you see all the players in the game. Uh, you know, if you're... Joshua, you could be down there thinking, man, here I am out here in this battle fighting, and they're standing on a the mountain. <laughs> they ain't even fighting with me. They're up there on the mountain. But guess what? Their job was important. Because if Moses wasn't holding his hands up, then they would be losing. Because the moment Moses put his hands down, they begin to lose. But if, but. Aaron and hers up there too. What they doing up there? Why they not down here? <laughs> well, their job is important too. Because when Moses gets tired, they're the support. They're holding his, his arms up and putting a rock underneath him so that he can rest and hold his hands up and they can win. So the first thing that I want you to notice about the scripture is that everyone has a role to play. Everyone had a job and no one's no one person's job was more valuable than the others. Joshua was on the battlefield, but there was no way that he could have won the physical battle without the intercession of Moses. Really, that's what it's symbolic of. He was interceding. Also, there was no way that Moses would have been successful in his ministry of intercession without Aaron and her holding up his hands. That's how it is in ministry. Everybody's job is critical and vital to the success of the ministry. No one's job is more valuable than the next 
person. Everybody has a role to play that's necessary for the success of the ministry. Let's just dig just a little bit deeper into this. Moses' job in this text again was to intercede for the battle. His ministry was critical because as long as his hands were lifted, Joshua was able to succeed in the battle. The issue is that Moses started to experience fatigue. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites prevailed over Amalekites. But the moment that Moses' hands began to fall, the Amalekites began to win. I put it, as long as the man or woman of God has to do all the work, they are bound to get fatigued. No question about that. When they're fatigued, things start to fall apart and the ministry begins to lose the battle. That's why the ministry of Aaron and her is so important. When they see that the leader is getting fatigued, they step in and have him or her rest. And they take over, right? The scripture says that they rolled a stone underneath him so that he can sit down and he could rest. Then they began to hold up his hands. And this is actually also very key. They didn't lift up their own hands. In other words, they didn't try to take the ministry over and become the leader. They, 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 they didn't hold their own hands up. They held his hands up. They recognized that the power was flowing through Moses. So they lifted up his hands so that the power could continue to flow. Leaders like this are so important to the ministry. They need to be able to see that the leader needs some rest and then allow them to do so. You know, so all of this, everybody's ministry is so, so important. You know, support, help, leadership. Everybody's important and everybody has a role to play. Joshua's important. Aaron and her, they're important. Everybody's important. Everybody has a role to play. And everybody just needs to learn what their role is to help in the ministry. And that's why I was saying last week that when, when people are out of place, it makes more work for everybody else. People got to take on more responsibilities. And oftentimes it falls on leadership. That's just how it works. Now let me just kind of just a couple more things real quick. I'll just talk about Joshua's ministry and then I'll close. And I just put here, you know, Joshua now, he was vitally important to the battle. He was the one that was in the middle of the battle. He was out there leading Israel in the fight. Moses, Aaron, and Hur were warring in the spirit, but Joshua was fighting in the natural. His ministry is vitally important. Somebody must be willing to do the work of the ministry. That's why the church needs intercessor, intercessors like Aaron and Hur and workers like Joshua and the warriors that were fighting. The battle is not going to be won without both parts working together to defeat a common enemy. Joshua couldn't have won the battle without Moses, Aaron, and her. But they couldn't win the battle without Joshua and the rest of the army. Both ministries were extremely vital. We need prayer warriors and we need natural warriors. And you got to find out which one are you. Which one are you? The other thing that I'll say about Joshua is this. This was considered training ground for him. He didn't know it at the time and neither did Moses, but God knew that he would be the next leader of Israel. As the next leader, he needed to understand all aspects of the ministry. Before he could become their spiritual leader, he needed to understand what it was like to be a worker in the ministry. 
it's vital for leaders to get their hands dirty. <laughs> they need to understand all the workings of the ministry. It will help them in giving guidance and directions to others when they begin to, to lead. You can't lead. You can't tell nobody else. If you, don't, if you don't know how to do it, you can't tell nobody else how to do it. You can't speak to it if you've never been through it. That's just the bottom line. You have to be able to know all. When you're a leader, you need to learn everything that goes on in this, in this house. So if somebody's not there, you can just step right in. The reason why I learned, I know so much about, you know, ministry is because when I was serving, I learned everything. When I was serving pastor, I learned everything. And it was because I didn't want ministry to be a burden on him. I didn't want him to have to worry about what was happening. So I just learned how to do everything. I didn't know I was going to be pastoring one day. I just knew that I was there to serve him. So you guys, you, know, you don't know where God's going to put you at one day. You know, so whatever you're doing now, it's all preparation for what God will eventually have you do. But when you're leaders, man, you got to learn how to do everything. You got to learn how to put your hands on everything, not just your ministry, what everybody else does as well. Got to get your hands dirty in ministry and learn it. So I wanted to kind of share that with you because I'm thinking, you know, I'm just really thinking more and more about, you know, leadership. Leadership has become... You know, in churches nowadays, you know, it's like, I don't know, the, the, what I used to think about is like people that weren't popular in high school or whatever, you know, they still got that complex on them. So they get into leadership and they feel like they're in high school again, but now they're the big dog on campus or whatever, you know, and now they're looking for people to serve them, you know, and it's not about that, you know, it's really about. You know, I always said, you know, every level of promotion that I got, I knew that there was more responsibility attached to it. And that's how I always took everything. It wasn't like, oh, now people are going to serve me. Now I can put my feet up. No, it was more work attached to it. You know, there was, there's, a, there's, a, there's more of a commitment. And we have to learn that. We've forgotten that, I think. You know, that we're, when we're promoted when we're given leadership authority and titles you know it's not just about you know flaunting a title you know like Jesus taught us is about putting a towel on and serving people so I'm gonna close right there it's 905 doing pretty good these days <laughs> 905 I'm gonna close right here but um you know just kind of keep that in mind. I'll pick up on uh, a couple of things next week I want to share with you, but I won't get to it today. I'll, I'll do it next week. But just lift your hands and we'll close right now. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just want to, we just thank you. We bless you, Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our ultimate example for teaching us the ministry of the towel, for being willing to Humble yourself and abase yourself in stooping so low that you are willing to come down and walk among us and be like us and have the same human frailty that we have. And then even after you did that, you, you, you stooped even further. You washed disciples' feet and then you stooped even lower than that 
and you gave yourself up to a brutal death on the cross. And because of that, we see that you are highly exalted, that you are greatly promoted because you are willing to stoop so low. And now grant us the grace to have this same heart, the same mind, same attitude that you had, being willing to stoop so low so that God can lift us high. And Father, we just thank you for it. We bless you. We give you all the praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. And come on, let's just give Jesus a praise. Amen, amen. All right, all right, all right, all right.